0: Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everybody, and welcome back to Coffee and Geography. And yes, I just said it just before I press record been waiting to get hold of this person for ages someone who's known me for i'm sorry to say it jenny 20 years (laughs) (laughs) um when i was a little baby university student and i was one of her students professor jenny barkley how are you today
1: i 'm good it 's really nice to talk to you kit uh, and it 's always been a pleasure to keep up with you over these uh decades <laughs>
0: oh, I know seriously, and uh, a little bit of a tangent just before we start of course, and you know how this feels is like, and we have many teachers and and academics and educators listening. What how precious it is is when you're able to keep in touch with your ex charges, with your ex students and things like that, and how, and then vice versa, how to keep in touch with your ex lecturers and teachers. It's such an amazing part of the job.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you always appear really busy, but actually, it's such a joy. And that's that's a tricky thing to impart. Is how kind of it's kind of some of the best parts of your job, isn't it?
0: It is. And folks, it's like what what's amazing is that. Um, and Je- Jenny's right. It's such a such a busy job, but uh, Jenny, you've you've always managed to squeeze time for me. Like whether whether it was I was a student or whether I just dropped by unexpectedly to your office, and say, oh, I was just in the neighbourhood. So uh, thank you for for that, and uh, it's something I always uh, treasure as well. Part of the working relationship too. <laughs> right so with that soppiness out of the way let's um let's uh, introduce you actually right so jenny is a volcanologist who's interested in anything weather history people inequalities fancy scientific senses communication as long as it's got something to do with volcanoes Jenny likes to apply this expertise to the reduction of disaster risk in volcanic settings. At the moment, she's working on projects that look at how we make sense of the challenges, contradictions, and uncertainties that happens when volcanoes erupt, focusing on how we can really learn lessons from past eruptive crises. It's such a fascinating topic. Um, Where do we start? I mean, I suppose, have you always had this passion for volcanoes, Jenny, since you were little?
1: Yeah, uh, so I guess um, a passion for the natural world, for absolute sure. And uh, it's bizarre, isn't it, when that passion kind of spills over into the destructive elements. I would say that's something. <laughs> my mum handed me over a few years ago a nature project I did when I was nine called The Violent Earth. So instead of sort of butterflies and insects and things like that, it was all about earthquakes. and I love that. So, yeah and um i think in terms of kind of people you encounter it's always a real pleasure when you encounter kids who are on a similar journey right
0: Mm. (laughs) and um as as you were and some of my listeners are aware is that my eldest is um eight going on nine now so same age and i see the same kind of things like at the moment doing some things that you think wow okay that's that's different for an eight or nine year old like wanting to play chess is one thing um doing dot to dot this is doing a thousand dots dot to dots not of marvel characters not of minecraft of landmarks around the world like i mean that's just i love it and then then theo comes up to me goes do you know what this is not this is i'm like um oh that's the hoover dam or that's st petersburg cathedral or something you know so
1: (laughs) That's great. I mean, I guess one of the things that, uh, as I've kind of gone on in my research career, obviously the caveat for me is it's got to be volcanic. But I have so much respect for other disciplines, you know, that are not necessarily scientific, the humanities, the social sciences, so people who've got a real interest in that. And I have to say both of my kids are very much, that's where their interest lies is in the humanities, which is fantastic. I've learned a lot from them now too as they get older.
0: Yeah, and we're we're both preaching to the sort of, converted and the and the choir with the target audience really here, but but we know that the that the discipline that we work in is so intersectional and so interdisciplinary. So yeah. and like like you as you said in your intro, you know, weather, history, people, inequalities, sensors, you know, te- telemetry, communication, all that kind of stuff, you know, you can't really be a volcanologist without having an pre at least an appreciation of all of those things. Yeah. So.
1: I think I think that's true. I mean I think if we were able to put our finger on write an equation point to that volcano is going to erupt then with this impact this size and it will stop at this time then sure we could just all focus on the science but it's so important that we think about a variety of other things because what we're really dealing with is a range of possibilities uncertainties Mm -hmm. and all of these really kind of require those sort of broad spectrum of approaches that uh, people learn through geography
0: yeah absolutely so obviously we'll we'll come back a bit more to this bit later but before we uh get cracking with the with the meat of the discussion um i usually ask my guests what um what they're drinking what brew do they have with you what brew do you have with you um do you have a brew with you or if you don't black what do you alcohol. usually drink
1: black coffee black coffee <laughs> So I'm exactly coffee central for this delight. coffee and geography. Nothing more, nothing different.
0: Do you pick up any black coffee as long as it tastes like like fuel, or do you uh, do you go for a particular? It's okay uh, to name brands here because we like to claim that we like to test their sustainability claims. So. so,
1: so one of, one of my many kind of fantasy ideas is actually to set up a brand that kind of. Explicitly sells coffee beans grown in and around the slopes of volcanoes.
0: There are a few. <laughs> yes.
1: There are a few. Uh, one of the big brands is Hot Lava Java, of course. Um, but it's Hot actually Lava to Java. try and set up some kind of environmental justice type situation so if any if there's any coffee makers out there who, who tune into this for the coffee part uh, i'm very interested in that um Ooh. so yeah I, i'm shameless i will tend to buy things if it's got a volcano in the front in terms of coffee <laughs>
0: <laughs> sales sales technique everybody sales technique um so yeah i'm, a, so I'm, I'm gonna tag a few in when I do the promotion for this episode and we'll see what we get you never know we might we might cast the net you know you never know <laughs> um excellent right so i'm going to take a different approach with the whole your location kind of um chat because um we've had a number of guests from norwich already um because obviously i you know i'm based in the area as well so it's quite easy to to drag friends into this and say what they're what they're getting up to so um Let's, yeah, let's approach this this way. So I know you've been in, in Norwich for a long, long time, but uh, yeah, so you're up from Scotland. Um, there's this strange thing about Scottish people coming down and invading Norwich. I think it's about time, you know, we're getting our comeuppance down here in the South. Um, and then, but you've also traveled many places around the world as part of your job. So here's my link. So we know that Scotland is, you know, an ancient volcanic landscape. Um but you've also been to places where the volcanoes are very, very active. So, with regards to where you've lived and the places you have visited, can you? Is there any part of any of these locations which which make your identity as Jenny Barkley, the person, or Jenny Barkley, the volcanologist? What what places around the world really speaks to the in essence of your core being? <laughs>
1: So obviously um I strongly identify as Scottish. So that's despite the fact I've been living in Norwich since
0: 1999. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so welcome.
1: Even the dog is called Hamish. So um <laughs> and I think I think that kind of uh love of landscape is um something that is very much part of my childhood. So I grew up near an uh, old Devonian volcano called Tinto, Tinto Hill in South Lanarkshire and just really enjoyed being in that landscape. And I think one of the things that's been really interesting through my research career and places has been that I always identified myself as a kind of cold northern sort of landscape person and that hot steamy landscapes weren't for me. Those were the sort of beach dwelling types who liked those. And and um, my research career focused in the Caribbean and also in South America has completely upended that. I'm a huge fan of um, the tropical mountain environment as well. It's just absolutely mm. astonishing. It's such a privilege to be able to kind of go and, and visit those landscapes in and around there. Yeah. So yeah, so I would say both those things, the cold northern landscapes and then the tropical mountains now.
0: Yeah, and one place that you do have quite a strong connection to, which is very, very familiar, particularly with uh, high school educators, geography educators, is, is Montserrat.
1: Yeah, I first went out there in uh, 1996, I'd just finished my PhD, I'm quite old, um, and uh, <laughs> Uh, I had an opportunity to kind of work on some of the rocks because Montserrat, of course, the Soufriere Hills volcano hadn't erupted in historical memory. And so we had to do some very rapid science to try and kind of understand uh, the typical behaviour and where we thought the melt systems were. So it was quite a, a physical project. But as part of that, I also went and helped the volcano observatory. And I think that was absolutely transformative for me, that experience in terms of, understanding some of the challenges of volcano science out with that kind of academic context. It, it, it mm. turned the way of thinking uh, completely around and also thinking about collaborations. And I guess one of the things I've also been thinking about more recently is that kind of legacy of obviously Montserrat's a British overseas territory. Yes. Uh, there's a long legacy uh, of um, vulnerabilities really, which are a consequence of um, our influence in that area.
0: Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of talk and I strongly recommend folks that if you, if you haven't listened to many episodes of coffee and Draw for we've had some fantastic discussions, you know, regarding colonization, decolonizing things. And, and, um, one of my, one of my, I wouldn't say, fa- I mean, I love every conversation. but One of my favorite conversations with this topic, I think was with, um, Keston Perry, who, who talked about, um, cause he's from Haiti, um, no, sorry, he's not from Haiti. He's from Trinidad and Tobago and he's, his focus is Haiti and particularly how colonization there has really disrupted the, um, the potential for those people to be resilient to changes in the environment and changes due to climate change and how actually his argument is that the colonization, um, you know, the European colonization is actually the start of climate mm-hmm. change, um, mm-hmm. not not the industrial revolution which was fascinating to say um yeah. or you know the the logging of of the haitian forests you know Absolutely. is a key thing Absolutely, so, yeah. and
1: it's true. Even when you think about volcanic hazards in that region too, because it's that change in uh, land use and the patterns of land occupancy, so where people live relative to the different hazards, who gets to live in the safe land, who gets to live mm. in marginalised land, all of these have have their have their roots there. So yeah, yeah. I
0: would concur with that. Which is why I am um I'm a a critic a critic or critica of claims of prisoners of geography as that being like the fundamental reason why development, you know, disparities exist. I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, you become a prisoner of geography because of other influences such as colonialism, you know, because we obviously thrived as a human race beforehand and we we were we're not prisoners of our geography because we lived with the geography and we thrived as a, a, you know, in our own culture's because, you know, within the geography, we became prisoner of geography when we started putting in barriers, laws, um, ruling and all that kind of stuff. So, and the Haiti and the Caribbean, I think for me is a prime example of, of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and there's some fascinating accounts from sort of early records in the Caribbean of people encountering the indigenous populations before Mm. they uh, wiped them out or pushed them into marginalised land. Talking about that kind of really uh, good knowledge that they had, for example, of the hurricanes, hurricane season, and hurricane, you know, where where they occupied the land as a result of that. So, yeah, I think one of the things in terms of looking positively towards, you know, how we combat changing climate kind of looking to and respecting some of these indigenous ways of uh, using and knowing the land is is going to be at the core of some of the solutions that we find
0: hopefully 100% 100% going to come back to sufria hills because i'm going to show jenny something on the screen and then she's going to explain what this is all is what's this <laughs>
1: So this is a Volcano's Top Trumps card on Super yes. uh, Hills.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I have my own set of Volcano Top Trumps cards. So what? So why should – we have lots of teachers and kids. Say, why should they get a pack of these and what, what was your intention to with these? So oh, and then we'll play a quick a really, little game of them when, when they're – That's either. a really
1: good question. Well, it relates a little bit to some of the kind of really rounded sort of issues that you have around um, volcanic mm. hazards. So in terms of thinking about uh, volcanic hazards – You, of course, will all know that there are many different types of volcanoes around the world. They occur in lots of different types of settings. They can do lots of different types of things. And so our aim with the Volcanoes Top Trumps cards was to try and make the embedding of that kind of knowledge in a fun thing. So we had to pick 30 volcanoes. We tried to pick 30 um, from around the world with a wide variety of different types of mm-hmm. behaviour and variance and we spent a long time uh, <laughs> having little arguments about the categories um, <laughs> thinking about it. And it was it was really fun to work with top trumps on this because uh, they kind of uh, shaved off some of the dorkier uh, imaginings <laughs> of uh, us. That's where wow factor comes from. Um, we kind of, Funny how we, the
0: games manufacturer comes back and gets you to tone it down. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. So uh, the, the wow factor was, uh, They said, you've got to have something like that. But of course, we reclaimed the darky high ground by doing this in something called a paired comparison analysis, because we couldn't agree <laughs> on what wow meant. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's got a different way of thinking in the wow way about a volcanic eruption. So do you like shiny lava? Do you Are you impressed by extraordinarily large eruptions? Everyone's kind of different. So in the end, we, yeah. we all had like to do a ranking and then we combined the rankings. And actually, our top top volcano in that case is I think everybody's second favorite wow volcano. <laughs> and it was top of the overall. So it's good. And you mm. heard it, here? Obviously, very recently there have been a lot of fairly iconic recent eruptions. Yes, Tufa uh, Saint Vincent, which much to my chagrin, is not in there, uh, mm. which is uh, the Caribbean volcanoes I work on. So we're currently gently trying to persuade Top Trumps to do an update.
0: Yes, I was just better ask. <laughs>
1: you heard it here first. Yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed.
0: Come on, folks, come on, top trumps, right? Now now you've got <laughs> – I, I optimistically say we have hundreds and hundreds of listeners, you know, maybe, you know, from all around the world, folks. Top trumps, come on. Like, we're selling it for you. We're selling it for you. Come yeah. on. Do yeah. it.
1: So, yeah. And it's been, I have to say we found it an extremely helpful thing to do um, with um, outreach, and we've had such yeah. positive feedback from teachers with this as well. And I know uh, top trumps themselves were initially skeptical because we – started out writing this letter going like you've got dinosaurs, why don't you have volcanoes? And they were we like, We have oh, the
0: dinosaurs no one as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: No one's interested in volcanoes. And to be fair to them, uh, after the sort of initial value of the first pack, they've kept they've stuck with it and kept re- reissuing it. So
0: Brilliant. Oh, in the good. end,
1: we may be dorky, but we we are right about volcanoes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And you say how useful it has been for outreach. So one of the one of the things that you helped me with with uh, with a school uh here in East Anglia of course is that you came on and you talked about your role and they asked you questions about careers in volcanology and things like that. And before you came on, I did do um you know a bit of the top trumps with them to kind of get them to think about these these kind of things the different ways that volcanoes erupt and why not because that was the lesson folks the lesson was you know the different types of volcanic eruptions the different types of you know volcanoes themselves and you know what plate margins bring them about the kind of lava that they generate and the volcanic trumps is just perfect for that and a good way to to get into that um right okay I'm going to put Crackertale aside because that's the top Trump, everybody, if you're wondering what it was. (laughs) Crackertale, explosivity, uh, uh, VEI, right, the index, 6, height of 813, deadliness, 1,000. I guess that's the top top deadliness, I think. Uh, Wow factor, 66, unpredictability, 33, and devastation potential, 50. And the top Trump's cards come with a little – uh key to say what those all are i'm not going to spoil it because you're gonna have to buy a pack to find for yourself <laughs> um and there's an instructions yeah and a little map of the subduction zones and where all the volcanoes are located as well fantastic right okay so i'm gonna give you a volcano jenny right and then i'm gonna oh. i'm gonna pick a, a pick a, a statistic and then tell you what the next volcano is you can gonna tell where it's higher or lower right oh, okay my word. okay so first of all we've got oh mount etna Okay. Yeah. So Mount Etna, I'm going to give you um, the the wow factor of 61. Oh so, my gosh! Wow
1: factor. That's such a tenuous category,
0: man. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. I thought I'd start with that. So uh, Tongariro yeah. in in uh, New Zealand is its wow factor higher or is it lower? I go higher. <sighs> so wow factor Etna 61. Wow factor of Tonga, uh, Tongariro 52. Oh, oh. no! Oh One, well. 1 nil to Kit. I blame my
1: my co collaborators.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can can blame (laughs) Professor Ian Stewart for that one. Always blame Ian. Um, Right, okay. Mount St Helens. So, the very famous volcano, which laterally explosively erupted in 1980. Um, In August 2000. No, August 1980. Am I right? I know it was before I was born. May. May. I was so quick. Oh, I should—I should remember that. That's the month and the year of my wife's birthday. Uh, <laughs> um, right. So, okay, let's go for unpredictability. So, uh, Tongariro was uh, 34. Is Mount St Helens predictability higher or lower? Unpredictability, higher or That's lower? That's interesting.
1: So, I'm gonna—I'm gonna give you some darky explanation for this. They like this <laughs> in visuals, don't they? Where they're like, think of your explanation. So, I—Tongariro no, know both has very small explosions and little lava flows, and also large explosions. Um, that that that's the variation. It's kind of a it's a measure of how different the eruptions it can have are. I mm. think Mount St Helens is capable of having larger explosive eruptions than Tongariro, and both have little weenie ones. So I'm <laughs> going to go Tongariro higher for. Um, so
0: to- Tongariro higher for unpredictability.
1: Y- no, Mount St Helens Mount St. Hel-
0: yeah. okay you're correct yep so unpredictability for tongariro was 34 62 for mount st helens right one more one more because there's so many other things i want to talk about okay i'm going to shuffle these then because the next one was crater lake i want to do something outside the united states now
1: so is it here's here's a sneaky fact that was my wow that that was my top wow volcano crater lake
0: oh yeah with 89 for
1: being so utterly massive
0: (laughs) yeah i'm glad this one came up next because i get to pronounce it so, um, I think you, you know how to pronounce this one, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, So good. There you go, folks. So you need to try and have a go at that one yourself. I'm not going to spell it out or it take the whole podcast. Um, right. So what have we got Mount St. Helens. Let's see if we can have something a little bit more tricky. Oh, they're, they're quite different. We'll go, we'll go with height. Okay. So Mount St. Helens height. Um, is it high? Is AFL lower or higher than Mount St. Helens?
1: lower
0: yeah it's lower by almost a thousand meters so everything else like mount helens blew it out of the water because like, <laughs> so i've
1: redeemed myself after that initial wobble and wow factor
0: <laughs> yeah you did yeah so there you go folks um volcano top trumps uh, you can find it very easy just by searching for it um
1: yeah and I should say we use we use um, all the the royalties that we get for the sales of it. We use those for projects in and around volcanoes.
0: Yes, that's it. So it all goes for a good cause as well. So not, not only do you get mind. some fun out of it, you get a classroom resource or yeah, yeah. something for you and the kids. It doesn't go into Jenny's yeah. pocket. It goes onto all of those yeah, those projects which are very vital. Habits. <laughs> it doesn't go into your, yeah well, I don't know i th- i think if you invested it in your uh in your potential venture for sustainable and you know um coffee supporting it's local true. communities, that's also a good cause, I would argue
1: yeah. <laughs> so.
0: Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. I'm going to... Yeah, let's stick with volcanoes and play uh, another game. We're going to do Barking Up the Wrong Tree, Jenny. I haven't done this. The first time this season I've done this where I'm going to give you two stories and you have to tell me which one is fake and which one is true. And of awesome. course, it's going to be volcanic uh, version, right? So I've I found myself two um, articles here. So one of them is about a false story and one of them is about a true story. So this one here, I'm going to go for... Okay, this one from Forbes. Forbes on April 1st, 2021, this article was from. On the morning of Monday, the f- April 1st, 1974, the residents of Sitka, Alaska, noted something strange in the familiar site of Mount Edgecombe, a dormant volcano lo- located at the southern end of Kruzov Island, Alaska. A menacing plume of black smoke was rising from the crater. Co- concerned residents called the police and firefighters and the Coast Guard commander radioed an ad- the Admiral in Juneau who ordered a chopper to be sent out to investigate. So, And then they decided to evacuate Sitka and most of the residents were evacuated by the Coast Guard by boat as they felt that the roads were going to be unsafe with the eruption. The volcano did not erupt. Um, It was a false alarm and the residents returned and the volcano has remained dormant ever since. Right, so that's the first one. The second one is from BBC Future and that's the 3rd of July 2017, this one. So this one is... It was 10th of October, 1465, the day of the hotly anticipated wedding of King Alfonso II of Naples. He was set to marry the sophisticated Ippolata Maria Sofia Sophia, Sophia, a noblewoman from Milan, in a lavish ceremony. As she entered the city, the crowds gasped, not because of her but because there was something they'd never seen. The sun had turned a deep azure, plunging the city into an eerie darkness. Rumors began to spread. Was it a solar eclipse? And as the early dusk lingered on, others suggested it could be the consequence of the weather. But it was just the beginning of a volcano, uh, which had a huge blast, which itself could be heard up to 2,000 kilometers away and created a tsunami which devastated hundreds of kilometers away. In terms of scale, it even surpassed the 1815 eruption of Mount Tambora so do we have um, about this eruption that happened 700 years ago on the day of the marriage between King King Alfonso II and this uh, Italian noblewoman, or is it this one of this seemingly dormant volcano where they erupted almost everybody by sea only for it to be a false alarm
1: so Wait, so I guess what the story is, you're not worrying about the false alarms. You're worrying about the fact that these are myths or apocryphal stories. Yeah,
0: yeah. So really so happen. one of these is a true story and one of these yeah, is so false. was
1: Alaska, was there really a false alarm evacuation? Was that beautiful bride had her day sullied by um, a fog
0: One of the biggest uh, volcanic eruptions of all time.
1: <laughs> I know there was a very big eruption around... So the date that's in my head is 1437 or eight uh, for Samalas volcano in Indonesia. Right. And what I know about that, those sort of atmospheric impacts, however, are that it takes quite a few days uh, for us to start seeing those kind of impacts as things kind of travel around the world. And then you have, you know, we, we all remember all the stuff about Mary Shelley and the year without a summer following Tambora. Uh, so that feels like it's not quite right in terms of time 1465 feels not quite right to me Mm. Um, so i wonder if that's a slight concatenation of several things that have elements of truth in them okie dokie but i've never heard of this false evacuation of uh places in alaska either in 1974 but i'm very pleased to report that's a wee bit ahead of my time so yeah
0: yeah they've been forgiven
1: for not knowing about that
0: it could have happened Uh,
1: yeah i'm going to say there's elements of vagueness about 1465
0: okay so i really made this challenging for you because (laughs) there's two there's ella there's two key bits of information i missed out from both (laughs) which really would have given it away right so the first one is So I'll, I'll go for it. So the first one is, you may not have heard as much about the 10th of October 1465, because the article says here, it was the biggest eruption for 700 years, but scientists still can't find the volcano responsible. So they ah, have okay. evidence that it occurred. But they can't find the volcano itself, and okay. they're still searching.
1: So, so that's uh, why I'm thinking about Samalas, because there was quite yeah. a lot of about that recently as a smoking gun for some of these tephra that happen in the. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And and they do say they, they the the date of the eruption is they think is 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 they've dated it to between 1420 and 1430. Yeah. And the reason why they said 1426 is because the 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 reports of the people at the time. Saw that this, you know, this darkening sky and all this kind of stuff and all this happening, so they think, well, yeah. that's probably when it happened because of the vig- the visual accounts at yeah. time. the time. One in Alaska. This is hilarious, right? Here's <laughs> here's the actual. I, I omitted the headline of the article. It is a Forbes article, so it's from a reputable um, author, uh, source one of the greatest April Fool's Day pranks okay, ever yeah, involved yeah. <laughs> in volcanic eruption. And so the bit that I missed out was like when they sent, and I skipped this bit. So when when they sent the, the helicopter up to the volcano, this is what it said. It said, Stacked in the cone of the volcano, burning with a greasy flame, was a huge mm-hmm. pile of old tires. And spray no. painted in the snow beside the tires in 50-foot black high letters were the words april Fool.
1: April nice nice yeah i'd never heard of that evacuation but also i have to say that that kind of the tying together of dates and times and things like that there is yeah there's a lot yeah. of uncertainty around there so i'm cool with yeah. that I'm cool with
0: my yeah, and, and also it, it just goes to show really how you know how much of both an exact and an unex- inexact science volcanology is you know you're playing with <laughs> especially when you go okay. further, further back of time you can have geographical geogra- records which you can carbon date and be pretty precise and things like this but then you can have something like this where you would have no clue and you're only going on you know vague visual hearsay records of stories yeah. in this case this wedding between King Alfonso II and Ippolita Maria Sofesa no yeah. it's not Spanish it's Italian so it's probably f- f- Forza it's just Forza it's probably Forza yeah. so I-
1: yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. So last I just Googled it there. That's 1257. So, so that was a wee bit earlier. So uh, I was mis- remembering that day too. Yeah. I think you're I think you're dead right, because one of the things that's really important about volcanic eruptions is is when you're thinking about volcanoes is the time, the temporal and the spatial scale over which you are interested. So in the case of a volcanic crisis or for or, for example, having your wedding spoiled, Um, The timescale that you're interested in is typically hours to days. When you're thinking about a volcanic history of a landscape or thinking about impacts on climate, for example, the timescale over which you're interested changes. And the resolution of our record, um, obviously, with historical records, we've got that hour-to-hour change record but with the geological, which is where I come from to start with, looking at that stratigraphic thing, you're, you're really your temporal resolution goes down, but the yep. number of eruptions that you understand goes up. Because obviously with that variability we were talking about before, it's really important for us as volcanologists not just to understand what happened during the last eruption, but to, happen, to understand the likely range of behaviour that a volcano has.
0: Absolutely. And that's why we yeah. had that
1: category in top trumps.
0: Yeah. Very well segue. Well done. That's brilliant. I mean, it's, yeah. And you, yeah, th- th- knowing that geological history or knowing the history of the landscape, is so, so important. It's like yeah. one of the key things. All right. Okay. One last thing to do before we uh, end up is to talk about you a little bit personally, spilling the beans. You said, uh, I love, I love this. Jenny says she is an absolute crybaby so christmas adverts people being knocked out on bake-off anything at all okay jenny, jenny I'm, i i have to ask you um i need you to spill the beans on the saddest sob story you possibly are willing to share publicly um have you, do you have one if you have many can you pick one?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness so so um so what do you mean kind of like in in the vein of me crying about something to do with make-off or uh or do you mean it could be something
0: absolutely ridiculous and you'd just burst into tears one day it could be
1: absolute volcanic disaster well so (laughs) i think we'll we'll avoid the actual incredibly properly sad things let's see if i can think of something that's a little bit illustrative of ridiculous crying
0: well while you're um, thinking i i'll share one of mine i've i have i have mentioned this before i think is um there was there was an episode of uh star trek discovery in season three when um adira came out as non-binary rather than uh, like and wanted to use certain pronouns and actually i knew the backstory to it because the because the actor uh they were coming out as non-binary as well and so they took the opportunity to do it both on screen and kind of like together and it was just like such a lovely moment and it just hit me right in the feels and then i was like on the floor going <laughs> so not just not just not just for them coming out but also because of uh, the reaction of the other characters it was like i'm not she i'm they and they were like okay and in the next scene, you say, "Oh, look, they're so tired." I was just like, "Oh my god, I can't do us So yeah, there you go. That was one instance of many of me being a crybaby.
1: So I, I definitely. Um, so one of my favourite shows to watch is the Great Pottery Throwdown. I love cre- I love creative things, and the guy there, who's really, when people produce a really nice pot so i have to say i do kind of have to i keep it on the down low but i do have a little tear when phd researchers that give of mine give particularly good talks i really kind of oh. nail it. Then. i just <laughs> yeah. i you know i hide it obviously because i dwell in the world of academia but yeah yeah. Um, I would say that's it. That's where that's what I can think of. And it's a sort of diffuse memory. I can't think of one in particular, but certainly, you know, when when people really, really kind of get it and fly for themselves, yes, yeah,
0: no, I think there are lots and lots of people listening who know that they've had a bit of a lump in their throat, too, when they've seen, you know, a student or someone do really well. And uh, yeah, but it's just because I know I'm going to make sure that. Um, uh, you're gonna you're gonna share this with all your PhD students and they're gonna know that now that you how deeply you care about how well they're doing. Which is completely on, on par for you. I, I totally get it. Oh. oh, that's such a nice thing to finish off. All right. Okay, so let's moving moving on now to save, save your embarrassment. We, what we're going to do is we're finishing off now with uh, We Are All Geographers, where we link all of our guests together through single words um, and seeing how people have different takes on them. So last week, we spoke to uh, Kiko Tomitaka, a wonderful, wonderful educator, teacher up in who's living in Scotland, but is from Japan. Um, so we had a lovely chat with her and she was given the word Christmas by the, the guest before by Dan Hong to do some 30 seconds on. Now Akiko has actually done something very geographical, but very, um, specific to where she's from in Japan. And she had to explain this one to me and I had to look it up, but she gave me, uh, Kuroshio. Now I'll have to translate that for you, right? Uh, kuroshio mm-hmm. is, uh, translates to, um, the black current or black stream. And what this is, so I have to tell you what it is in order for you to do your 30 seconds on it, right? So the Kurashio Current is on the west side of the clockwise North Pacific Ocean Gyre. So it's this very strong ocean current that pushes past the east coast of Japan. So that's very so very specific. It's, it's very rare we have something very geographically specific like that. So, um, yeah, it's how you wish to take this, Jenny, for 30 seconds is entirely up to you. I mean... You know, ideally, it's got to be about the Kuroshio Current off the east coast of Japan. But if you kind of segue onto ocean currents in general, we can forgive you. Uh, but I, I think uh, Akiko is probably very interested hearing what you might have to say about that particular part of the world. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me when you're ready. I'll set me timer for thirty seconds. Don't worry, okay. you get your own. You get your own back. You get your own back when we're done. So it reminds
1: um, me geographically of where that is again, the current off which part
0: of Japan? Off the east coast of Japan because it, it is the western part of the North Pacific Gyre. Okay. So, as, so as it's going around like that, it's coming off okay. south to north, off the east coast of Japan. Right. Okay. So timer at the ready. 30 seconds. Are you ready?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Your 30 seconds start now.
1: Okay, so more usually I'm asked to think about the uh, Pacific Ring of Fire, <laughs> but Pacific Gyre uh, rhymes with that, which is good. <laughs> uh, and obviously, one of the things that governs it is, of course, the physics of. The difference, the thermal differences causing uh, contrasts and movement. And that's what we're all about here with volcanology. And nice. One of the things that I really love about the environmental sciences more broadly is how you can use physics to link phenomena and understand a whole load. So understanding an ocean gyre current um, is just the same as understanding the currents that come up from volcanoes with the hot wet, hot atmosphere hitting, the hot volcano hitting the cold atmosphere.
0: Very, very nicely done. Very nicely done. Ah, oh, yeah. And again, going back to what we we're saying about the intersectional, interdisciplinary nature of our topic. Ah, oh, brilliant. Okay. Um, your turn then. So for uh, – we, we, it's actually going to be really, really lovely. You've got a very good opportunity here because next week, folks, we're going to be hearing from a bunch of students. Um, oh, great. Which is amazing a bunch of uh, high school students who are going to talk to us about something really special Now you're not going to want to miss it so jenny's word is going to be tackled by a bunch of high school students so it doesn't necessarily mean you have to change what you were going to go for originally um but it's just to let you know who's going to be tackling it i'm really really interested to see how they approach it so what do you think jenny what are you going to give these these students because there's going to be a few of them i might give them 60 seconds between them Um,
1: wow okay so originally what i thought i was going to do was try sublime
0: Okay, yeah,
1: well the sublime is often applied to volcanic phenomena, but it could be also true for many geographic phenomena, so yeah. thinking of things as both uh slightly terrifying but also really amazing and wonderful about the natural world.
0: Uh, so we can yeah, with
1: it with sublime
0: yeah. There we are. So tune in next week, folks, for um, seeing how those students get on with the word "sublime." Right then, Jenny, now's your chance to give some shout-outs. You know, to your PhD students or anybody else, um, <laughs> some shout-outs, um, and also um, how can people uh, follow you or get in contact with you if they want to touch base, see what you're getting on with, or they would like to collaborate. So, who'd like yeah. to? Say? Absolutely wonderful. So
1: those of you locally, uh, come and see us at the Norwich Science Festival. Yes. We're gonna- about that as soon as the recording switches off. Uh, We love to do outreach. You can find out about us on the UEA volcano outreach webpage uh, some of the resources and things that we've been talking about today are available there mm-hmm. and one of the things I think that is absolutely critical to making advances in this field is your collaborators so I've got too many to mention because as I mentioned previously I'm very old uh, but <laughs> yeah I, I really want to finish by saying uh, science is never an individual endeavor and it really isn't in volcanology so massive shout out to all the collaborations and all the kind of joy that comes from working across disciplines and with many different people yeah. including of course my phd researchers
0: including your phd students <laughs> so you've got uh, i believe your volcano jenny that's jenny with an i on twitter is that right
1: that's right Yep, yeah, i'm there i have done my first tiktok last week <sighs> as well we were working at the oh, natural S- Museum, so <laughs> we'll see how that pans out I was banned from it by my kids when they were a bit younger, but I'm now unbanned. So, yeah.
0: So, is that because you're cool again, or is it because they're too old to care?
1: Uh, oh. Too old to care. I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, no yeah, illusions I- there. I had a, I had a, I had a quick little dive into my first ever TikTok. It got quite a bit of attention, but I'm like, uh, maybe I'll give it, a, I'll see how that goes before I have another go at it. But a lot of educators are getting on it now, saying actually, you know, TikTok is pretty good. So, but I, I, I will, I'll have to get someone on who's uh who's an avid TikTok user and actually try and convince me that I should be using it. So we'll see. Well, Jenny, this is absolute delight. Been wanting to do this with you for absolute ages uh, because I really felt that loads more people needed to know kind of like what you do and your passion for it and why it's important and so it's been an absolute delight um, to talk to you today for the podcast brilliant thank you thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app if you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at Pod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffee and jog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.